Hi, this is Paul Butler. I'm the Senior Pastor of New Heart Baptist Church. Thanks for checking out our podcast. We hope that this podcast will be a great blessing to you and encourage your life. I believe it's very clear we do not have because we do not ask. Ask and you shall receive. Do you know, only yesterday, I, yesterday afternoon, I um, had the family in the car with me and we had to go to Garden City. Oh, yes, exactly. Driving into Garden City, about to pull into the shopping centre, and Jill goes, Father God, we pray that you would give us a parking spot. As soon as we arrive in, that we'll have one that is absolutely where we need it to be and that we will not need to drive around multiple times to find it. Do you know, we drove in, received the ticket, I went forward, turned, went around, and here's this car pulling out that we were able to go straight in, undercover and everything. Perfect. Why? Because we prayed. You compare that against the guy who prayed one day on his way to work and said, God, if there's a parking spot out the front of the donut shop, then you obviously want me to collect donuts. <laughs> he only had to drive around seven times and there was a parking spot. <laughs> but anyway, all right. This morning I want to share with you just what God's put on my heart about Christmas. But I don't want it to be my words, I want it to be God's words. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, your word of truth that leads us and guides us in all truth and righteousness and that deeper walk with you. And Father, I ask that you would now speak to us by your Holy Spirit. Take away the distractions. Quieten our heart. Quieten our mind. That we would just hear your voice, to delight in your word, the fullness and richness of your love poured out for each one of us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it is nearly Christmas. We have, if you watch TV, you've probably seen multiple movies or ads for multiple movies that tell us about Christmas. Most of them or a number of them, don't really tell us about the real meaning of Christmas. And so we won't look at the movies. What are some of the other things that we have surrounding us at the moment that actually help us to know that it's Christmas? What are some of the things? Lights, thank you. What else? What do we have at the moment? Snow. <laughs> if you're in Tasmania, probably. Yes. <laughs> Anyone else? Carols. Yes. What else do we have? Nativity scenes. Yes. What else do we have that tells us? To... Trees? Yes. The Christmas tree? Yep. What else? Anything? Fruit, mince, pies. There you go. Yes. Now everyone's stomachs are grumbling. Right. Thank you. Yep. What else? Anything else? Presents. Yes. And there was another one. Family. Yes. Decorations. The list goes on and on. There's a whole lot more things. But let me just say, there are five days until Christmas. Are you ready? Have you written your cards? Wrapped your presents? Organised your lunch and dinner? Put up your Christmas tree? Yeah, okay. Put your presents under the tree? Dropped your subtle hints of what it is that you want? Yeah. <laughs> 
Do you know, I even had one of my, ch- one of my children offer to write a list for me of what I- they thought I wanted. <laughs> There's a song years ago, All I Want for Christmas is my two front teeth. It's very easy, especially in our society, for Christmas to become all about what we want. In fact, there was a line in a film that I heard the other week and it says, I don't want something I need, I want something I want. And there's, I don't know about you, but this endless supply of catalogues that are delivered to my mailbox that just are constantly telling me of the things that I obviously want rather than the things I need. But at Christmas, as I just asked, what are some of the things that remind us of Christmas? We have the tree. Okay, now I know that some people, their tree will be plastic. For other people, it has to be a real tree. And for some, no, we do not have a tree at all. It is a pagan thing. Yes, it is a pagan tradition. So let's not get lost in that, okay? But the fact is, we have this tree. And what's the significance of the tree? Well, it's actually nothing. (laughs) But we spend all those hours decorating it to make it look good. But what worth is there? It's not about the tree. It's actually the presents that are most important at the base of it. Yes? And so on Christmas Day, many a child will go hunting at the base of that Christmas tree for the present they want. But in doing so, they may actually miss out on the present they need. And so this morning, what I'd like us to do is just to journey through Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, just a couple of parts, and looking at... I know, it's a big journey, but it's looking at it in terms of the tree and the significance of how a tree is there and how we can easily lose sight of what was most important if we actually focus on the tree rather than actually what either the tree was holding or beholding for us. So we read right at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis that God said, I will give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit in, with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And then the next chapter, in chapter 2, we then read, The Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will certainly die. In these first two chapters, we go from God to the Lord God. It's as if there's this beautiful walk of them walking, God walking with Adam, and, and they're just having this conversation in chapter 1, and God said in the midst of their conversation, But then in chapter 2, it's the Lord God commanded. So it suddenly shifts from being this beautiful walk to instead of be like a commander over their troops and ordering them, you must not do this. And so God's command was, do you know what? There are two trees in particular in this garden. There's a tree of knowledge of good and evil, but there's also a tree of life. And God commanded them only to not eat from one tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Which means that Adam and Eve were able to go up to the tree of life and eat from that tree of life. What a blessing for them. It was only though after they sinned that God then removed them from the Garden of Eden so that they would not then go and eat from that tree of life because then they would have lived forever, but they would have lived under the burden, the condemnation, the guilt and shame of sin and what their actions had done. So God was gracious to them. And so some people actually look at that verse and that passage of Scripture and they go, well, hang on, why then did God create this tree of knowledge of good and evil if he knew all it was going to do was be a temptation for us and cause us to actually then sin? 
Well, it's been said that uh, there could be no freedom to obey unless there was freedom to disobey. And so in Genesis 3, we have Adam and Eve who are convinced that that fruit from the tree, it's worth taking and it's worth eating. That tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They were convinced that they weren't going to die. Instead, they were going to be like God, knowing both good and evil. They saw themselves as suddenly being equal with God. For Adam and Eve, they had everything that they needed, but it wasn't what they wanted. What they wanted actually came and took over, and that is why they then took from this tree of knowledge of good and evil. For Satan, he wasn't tempting them to disobey God. But rather it was this desire after the source of power, being able to take and to be able to be equal with God. And their sin, it resulted in them being removed from the Garden of Eden because going after what they wanted, that fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, it actually became then the birthplace of their sin. Go contrast that with 4,000 years later. We have the birth of Jesus. We read in Luke Chapter 2. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you, you'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. For Jesus, when he was born, he was laid in a manger. Luke is the only gospel writer who tells us that Jesus was laid in a manger. And Luke uses the word manger three times, which says that there has to be a significance to it. In actual fact, there's four points of significance about that manger for us today. The first one is that the manger was actually a feed trough for animals. Now, going back, to the, going back all those years ago, 2,000 years ago, when that manger was made, it could either be made of stone or of wood. Now, it's believed that the one that Jesus was actually laid in was one made of wood because of the time of the seasons of the year, it would have been cold if it had been stone, so therefore it would have been one made of wood. We often, when we depict manger scenes with nativity scenes, often are made out of wood. be a bit hard carrying stones around and going, well, this is the manger. But anyway... All right, so that was something. So here it is, this feed trough for animals. Why is that significant? It's because Jesus said, I am the bread of life. That we come to Jesus and we feed. Think of our communion. Think of the Lord's Supper, that we take and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. That is why it was actually symbolic of what was to come, that we would feed on Jesus. Second reason was it was significant was when Jesus was placed in that manger, it was because it was a place of rest for him. How many people strive and try to earn their own salvation? 
Whereas Jesus has paid the price, he's opened the door, he's, that curtain is torn from the holy to the holy of holies that separated it, that we have that entry into the, and access to the Father. We do not do it by achieving, but rather by resting. Resting in God. Third reason it was significant was it was a sign for the shepherds. They were told by the angel, this would be the sign for them. They would know it was Jesus, not because he was in a stable, but because he was there in a manger. And fourthly, that it wasn't beneath the shepherds. The shepherds, they were dealing with, used to dealing with sheep. Sheep smell. They don't do what they're told all the time. And so for the shepherds walking into that stable, it would have smelled, it would have had the noise of animals and they wouldn't have got, you know, they didn't go, oh, no, it's, it's a bit grungy, I don't want to go in there. Instead, for the shepherds, they actually went, do you know what, we want to go in here, we want to see what we've been told. How many people have actually found themselves maybe even rejecting Jesus because they go, oh, he's not what I pictured him to be. And so we actually see that, you know, think back to the tree, and the tree actually was formed to, to be able to hold that, was formed to make the manger. But it wasn't the tree that was important, it was actually the baby in the manger that was most important. But where the tree held the Saviour after his birth, we then go further on and find a tree that supported the Saviour when he stood, when he was there on the cross dying for us. Matthew 27 reads, When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots, and sitting down they kept watch over him there. Above his head they placed a written charge against him, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. The same declaration had been made by the wise men when they went and visited Jesus after his birth, and they, they said, Where is the one born King of the Jews? Jesus was born king. He wasn't made king. He already came established in his kingship. And although Jesus was acknowledged king of the Jews, this was spoken of by Gentiles, which means that both Jews and Gentiles acknowledged Jesus as king and they worshipped him. Think back to the shepherds at Jesus' birth. They worshipped Jesus. They'd been told by the angel, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Now, some translations, when you read that, it actually has the Christ, the Lord. But regardless, there are three titles given to Jesus in this one verse. Saviour, Messiah, and the Lord. Why is that important? Saviour means he delivers and saves from our sins. Messiah means the anointed one. And the Lord means a person exercising absolute ownership rights. So if we put all that together into one sentence, we read, Jesus delivers and, delivers and saves us from sin because he's the anointed one exercising his absolute power. Isn't that fantastic? So we have from the shepherds, but then we move to the wise men who also, they came and they worshipped Jesus, bringing their gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Again, each one of them symbolic and had a spiritual significance to them. The gold was symbol, symbolic of Jesus, his kingship on earth. 
Frankincense was a symbolic of his deity. And myrrh. It's actually an embalming oil. Again, tied and um, symbolising Jesus' death. But now there on the cross, although we've had people who have worshipped Jesus and acknowledged him as king, Jesus, whilst he's there dying on the cross, we've got people who look at him and scorn, failing to realise that his death on the cross was actually for them. The shedding of his blood was for the forgiveness of all sin. And yet, instead of declaring their worship, they actually criticised. We read that there are some who passed by hurling insults at him, that the chief priests and teachers of the law, they mocked him, and Matthew and Mark, they record that the two who were crucified alongside of Jesus actually also hurled insults at Jesus. Even today, people fail to see the tree that actually held Jesus and the significance of that was actually the one that was bringing life to them because Jesus died to bring life. Which brings us to the last tree that I want to mention. And it has the same name as the one we mentioned in Genesis, but it's mentioned in the end of the Bible in Revelation, the tree of life. In Revelation 22, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. On each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit and yielding its fruit every single month. There are multiple, not just one, tree of life. Why is that important? Because it speaks of the multiple blessings of God. And in these verses, these five verses, there are actually seven promises that were given, that are given to us. The first one is the water of life. Jesus is that living water. In John 4, Jesus said, The water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. That we come to Jesus and we drink and we drink of that eternal life in him. The second promise is that the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Doesn't our na don't our nations need healing right now? Where are they going? What's their source? Science? Guesswork? Guess what? The trees of life... The leaves are for the healing of the nations. The nations will be healed because of the promises of God. And so we have that assurance of the healing of the nations. Number three, no longer will there be any curse. You know, when, when Adam and Eve rebelled against God and turned their back because they wanted something for themselves, a curse came upon the earth. That curse will be broken. That curse will be finished. Satan, death and sin will be destroyed. They will be no more. Number four, 
The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. It is this beautiful picture where we have direct access to the throne of God. But as well as that, in having access, we do not come as slaves, rather we come as servants. Again, it's one of inheritance and relationship. Number five, they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. That we will see God face to face. We do not need to hide our faces from him, but rather we'll be able to see him face to face. And with that, his name on our forehead, why is that important? It's actually, it means possession and security. That we belong to God and are under his care, his love, his direction. It's like he comes and he just cuddles us. And then number six, there will be no night. They will not need the light of a lamp or light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light. God is our light. He's our path that we actually are able to see. And number seven, they will reign forever and ever. Forever and ever. It is an eternal promise that from the tree of life, there are the abundant promises of God. What does that mean for us here? We've got all our Christmas decorations. We've got our five sleeps until Christmas. What does it really mean for us this year, this Christmas? Well, Christmas is the fulfillment of the promises of God. It's not just about a season and it's not about what we want. But the reality is we can get up Christmas morning. We can go to the tree. But if we focus on that tree we can actually miss out on the gift that's attached to it. The same was true of the shepherds. The shepherds who went and were told, he's in a stable, but he's in the manger. And so they follow the advice. They look and they go, wow, look at the manger. Isn't it well-crafted? Isn't it amazing? Wow. And just compare it. And they could easily lose sight of it. But instead, what they looked at was the baby in the manger, the Saviour, the Messiah, the Lord. Or people who, they look at the cross. You know, some even wear crosses and, and they go, oh, isn't your cross beautiful? It's so wonderful. Love the cross. It's amazing, the cross. But they actually fail to recognize the one who died on the cross to give them life and free them from sin. Well, then we have the ones who focus on the promises of heaven, the trees of life and get all excited for eternity but they fail to actually work on the relationship with Jesus here and now that will actually bring them to that place of eternity. So what does Christmas look like for you? Is it something only for a season? Or is it something for eternity? Is it only what you want? Or is it what you need? Reality is we all need Jesus as our saviour. But the truth of it is he is not what everyone wants. What do you want this Christmas? Are you going after Jesus? Only for this season? Or for eternity? Please close your eyes with me. What I'd like you to do is just to have some, just a couple of moments just quiet before God. Just pondering that question. Are you going after what you need or what you want? Is Jesus for the season or for eternity?
Maybe you're here this morning. And you're going, you're feeling that, that burden of saying, yes, I've only been going after Jesus when I want, and it's been seasonal. And God's putting it on your heart, no more up and down like a yo-yo. Instead, it's pushing in for eternity. For some here this morning, you may not know that relationship with Jesus. But this morning, you've just felt God put it on your heart of his love for you and his desire to be in the relationship with you through his son, Jesus Christ. If that's you, I encourage you to just pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you came as an infant. I thank you that you lived without sin. And I thank you that you died on the cross for my sin. I confess that I have sinned against you. And I now turn from my sin. And I turn to you, Jesus. And I acknowledge that you are Lord and Saviour of my life. Lord Jesus, I receive you into my heart. Thank you, Jesus. Now, Father, I pray that for each and every one of us here today, as we go into this continued Christmas season, to know that it's not just a season, it's for eternity. And Father, I pray that in the midst of the busyness of things, that we do not lose sight of you, the author of our faith, the perfecter, and the one who loves us for eternity. Father, I pray you would give us boldness to be able to share with others about the truth of Christmas. That's not just for a season, but for eternity. And that it is life-giving, the gift of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that those who are travelling over this time, you would keep safe. Your hedge of protection would be around them. But also, Father, for those who are finding this season, this time of year, difficult. Maybe isolation. Maybe finances. Maybe uncertainty. May even be the empty chair at the table this year. Father, your word says that you are the God of all comfort who comforts us in our weakness. And Father, I pray that you would pour out your comfort upon each and every one. But also, Lord, like looking at a tree and admiring it, we can look at our circumstances and go, oh, woe is me. Or we can see the gift that was on that tree 
Jesus who died. And we can celebrate knowing our future is sealed. And so, Father, I pray you would ignite our hearts afresh with joy and know the perfect peace that casts out all fear, knowing your love and embracing that anew today. Father, I pray your blessing on each and every one. I thank you for them. I pray, Lord God, that as torchbearers, bearers of your light and your love, your joy, that we would be able to go out and speak and proclaim that Jesus Christ is alive. Jesus Christ is a gift for all eternity. Father, I pray your blessing of grace and peace and joy on each one. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.